This week's Winefellers is brought to you by the National Alliance of Wine Growers and Distributors. Have you had your two glasses of wine today? The Stool Stool, improving your bathroom posture since 2015. The Stool Stool, we're number two. And River of Life Lutheran Church. Sunday services come once a week. How often do you? Welcome to this week's episode of The Winefellers, right here on WHUPLP, Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Joe, co-founder of Truebottle.com, your professional source for wine auction prices, and my good feller Mark here, fine wine auction director with Leland Little Auctions. And together, we are the Hey, Mark and I both welcome you to a very special Wine Fellers event. It's Bug Week, Mark, and it's WHUP's celebration officially being called the Bug-a-thon. For those of you who haven't heard of this, WHUP is the only station that runs an annual Bug-a-thon celebrating all the fleas, ticks, mites, dragonflies, and cockroaches that give you hours of joy in your life. We're not quite sure yet. We're working on it. We haven't figured out how bugs and community radio fit together, but hey, we sure do love bugs. So this year, the wine fellers are ready and willing participants for this very special event. Mark, we're having a very special event so let's just get going. We're proud to present a happy precedent. A super segment. It's one feller's special event. Turn your radio up. Turn it up. Grab your wine cup. Go get it. Put on some makeup. Oh, yeah. It's a wine feller's special roundup. Cork your wine bottle. Your brothel. Fellers, 
Well, Mark, I guess that is how you kick off Bug Week officially with a very, very special event song. I am so excited to be here for Bug Week. This is uh, probably going to be our best show yet. I'm not sure why exactly they asked us to do Bug Week, or run a bugathon, but that is what we are doing. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, Mark, in honor of Bug Week of the Bugathon here on WHUP, what is your favorite bug? Well, uh, I don't have a favorite bug, but I'll tell you what my least favorite bug is. Oh, well, that'll work too. My least favorite bug is a bed bug. Bed bug, horrible, horrible type of bug. Horrible. So bad, in fact, that whenever we go to a hotel, uh, my wife goes on bedbugger.com, checks the registry to make sure that there is not a big a break, a bed bug outbreak where we are going. That's a smart thing to do, Mark, but I, I'm betting uh, you might even bring them with you sometimes. Well, yeah, naturally, but they're my bed bugs. <laughs> so my, um, I guess if I had, you know, I, I'm, I, I walked into the studio today and you told me, uh, I had something on my sleeve. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you said this couldn't start any more perfectly. That's true. And I had a uh, what appeared to be a, a, a bumblebee in distress. Oh, that's right. Right. And so uh, we set him out, gave him some water. We set him outside. And so uh, that really for me is when the bugathon began. Somehow that <laughs> that bee knew what we were doing today. It knew. And so that's my favorite bug of, of the week is the bumblebee. Um, I like it. Now, look, if you joined us uh, during last week, uh, last year's Bugathon, uh, you'll recall that one lucky listener won a one-day, one-night, all-expense-paid trip to luxurious Cary, North I, Carolina. I remember. That's right. Courtesy of one of our proudest sponsors, the Stool Stool. Mm. Now, you might ask, how could the wine fellers possibly top that? Good question. <laughs> we'll get this, Mark. All the listeners... Who participate during this year's Bugathon? You know, go online, tell us your favorite bugs, whatever. Uh, you will be entered into a drawing to win a very special prize. The Wine Fellers, again, we went over this last week. Uh -huh. uh, we will take the winner to any Mexican restaurant yes. in Hillsboro of your choice. Yes. I mean, at lunch for free. Woo! Now, please note that this prize, of course, excludes all alcoholic beverages and desserts. Um, so sharing a fine dining experience with the wine fellers while giving a little back to the community during Bug Week, the Begathon, uh, Bugathon here on WHUP. Um, now, uh, turn on your bug zappers, Mark, yes. spray on your DEET, and close that mosquito netting as we play for you. WHUP's official Bugathon theme song. We're not trying to make veal parmesan. Oh, yeah, veal parmesan is very difficult to make. We're not trying to draw a polygon. A poly what exactly? We're not trying to find Saskatchewan. Hmm, pretty sure that's in Canada. We're not trying to drink Domperion. Wait a minute, Mark, we're not? We just want to run a begathon. Give us your money, you know what's going on. 
We just want to run a begathon. Give us the money the station is depending on. We're not trying to make a chocolate flan. Yeah, that, that is too difficult to make. We're not trying to draw a hexagon. Uh, is that like a, a polygon? We're not trying to find Azerbaijan. I'm pretty sure that's near Saskatchewan. We're not trying to eat at Cinnabon. <laughs> Wait, what? Just want to run a begathon. Give us your money, you know what's going on. We just want to run a begathon. Give us the money, the station is depending on. Shows like The Spine, She and Her, and Ultra Billions. Pick of the Pop, Beggar's Banquet, and the Winefeller Runs. WHUP, we're the station you lean upon. So give us your tax deductible donation. Your money, you know what's going on. We just want to run a begathon. Give us the money, the station is depending on. We need your donation. We are on our knees, begging for your tax deductible donations. Please click on the contribute link at whupfm.org. All right, Joe. I truly believe that this will be our most exciting bugathon ever. Oh, I completely agree. And to celebrate, we will be holding a very special wine pairing event. We will answer the age-old question, which wine pairs best with my three favorite bugs, giant water scorpion, male rhino beetle, and Asian Forest Scorpion. Oh, you're killing me, Mark. And for those of you who are concerned that we might be placing our lives in great peril by ingesting bugs with wine, uh, yes. you can rest assured the wine fellers are quite fortunate that this week's wine pairing event will be heavily supervised by our extra special guest, Dr. Brian Stewart, a certified bug expert. Nice. So stick around. You won't want to miss a very special Bugathon episode of the Wine Fellers. But before we get to that, let's begin with a very important wine bug news. Welcome to North Carolina's only fine wine newscast, where your good wine fellers, Mark and Joe, discuss real wine stories from this week's news, offering you an insider's view into the fascinating and often hilarious world of fine wine, right here on WA.
Well, we may as well get on with it. This week on the Winefellers Wine Bug News. Have you ever wondered how many stink bugs it takes to negatively affect the taste of your wine? <laughs> well, the good news, Mark, is that you need at least three and a half bugs. Uh, on the other hand, the bad news is that it seems that our wine contains bugs. That and more on this week's news. The news. The brown marmorated stink bug has established itself in Oregon and Washington state. And this invader from Asia has a formidable appetite for grapes. Oh. The stink bug gets its name from smelling like what some describe as musky cilantro. Yeah, I've, I've smelled one of those before. Oh, sure. Nasty little things. They're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess this is bug week. We need to be friendly to bugs this we week. We love the smell of stink bugs. Wonderful stink bugs out there. At Oregon State University, researchers have purposefully mixed in stink bugs with grape crush to figure out how many insects it takes to taint the taste oh, of the region's wine. That's actually pretty clever. It's very smart. Well, the number appears to be about three and a half insects <laughs> per cluster of grapes. This figure is currently well above levels found to date in most vineyards. Thank goodness. For participants who, who blind tasted the bug contaminated wine, about ten percent poor people. About ten percent <laughs> didn't mind the flavor, while the vast majority disliked the stink bug taint. <laughs> it's like you know, uh, some people love the taste of cilantro, mm -hmm. while others swear up and down that it tastes like soap. For example, I, I don't know about you. If there's not cilantro in my wine, I put it in there. <laughs> but I like that they did this. You know, um, and the, this is kind of uh, a sad moment during this week's bugathon uh, here on WHUP. Bug Week, okay, um, because it starts with obviously the question of how many bugs had to needlessly suffer for this experiment to uh, see the light of day. It's true, but I guess we also have to feel bad about the participants of the study, well. <laughs> who uh, who I don't know uh, how this passed a human subject design, but how they were uh, uh, hoodwinked into into, uh, <laughs> into participating in a study. Uh, we're not going to tell you that you're going to have to eat stink bugs. Oh, uh, that's just. Uh, they, I'm sure they didn't tell them beforehand, hey, we have some, some wine we'd like you to try. Right. This tastes awful. Well. Ah, thank it, you. Yes, it's, it's the stink bugs. <laughs> you know, there's so, uh, you know, every year during Bugathon, we have to come up with some wine news related to bugs. That's right, right? We do. It's bug week here on WHUP. It's bug week. And I don't, uh, I, I think this year you've found the perfect article. Years past, it's it's been hit or miss, but this year, Mark, um, I think you know uh, while we could revisit some of the news from the years past, really, there's so much great stuff coming up it on really the show is. today. Uh, I I think um, we just want to move on with the pairings, absolutely, with with the interviews, and um, I've had a uh, a very informative news session with you, my friend. Me too the news for this week find us online at thewinefellers.com and continue the discussion of these groundbreaking stories this has been another exciting report from the winefellers news desk Hello, I'm Christopher Walken. How are you? You probably already know why I'm here. So I'm going to be straight up 
with you. WHUP needs your money. So go online to WHUPFM.org and donate today. Look, I didn't take 20 minutes of my life to record this promotion for you to just, well, not give us your money. WHUP needs your money. I need your money. We all need more money so bad. In fact, guess what? I I need it so bad, I've got a fever. And the only prescription is more money. So we're gonna try this one more time. And this time, with every ounce of money you got. Got it? Good. Remember, donate now at WHUPFM.org. But now, my favorite segment of the week. Your good fellers, Mark and Joe, explore the exciting world of tasting and pairing wine. And remember, we're always on the lookout for suggestions from you. So let's pop the cork right now on this week's episode of The Wine Fellers. I do. Well, Mark, unfortunately, we've arrived to the wine pairing segment of Bug Week. That's the Bugathon here on WHUP. Tell me what you have in store. Now, I'm not sure why you say unfortunately. I think this is the best part of the show. Oh. This might be the best wine tasting pairing event we've ever had. And the good news is, is that we have in our studio Dr. Brian Stewart. Dr. Who, Stewart. Who is going to supervise this whole thing because he's an expert in bugs and we are going to pair wine with bugs is that right dr stewart well first of all i want to say thank you for having me on your show this is a real privilege oh well thank you thank you for coming we're honored unfortunately i'm not an expert in bugs uh mark you (laughs) (laughs) joe um (laughs) but we're 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 in the right very general ballpark. Okay. Like those who study bugs, who are typically call themselves entomologists. I see. Yes. I'm a herpetologist. Oh, meaning that's that my I'm fault. a biologist who studies amphibians and reptiles. Mark. Now, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what <laughs> that meant. How can you get this wrong? Well, uh, yeah, I thought herpetology was bugs, but I, you know, but now we yeah. know. So yes. here. So let's let's unite entomologists and herpetologists under the term zoologist. Hey, I'm a zoologist. Very good, perfect. But I happen to specialize in amphibians and reptiles. Now, are you going to be able to, because you're a herpetologist and you specializes in lizards and snakes and things like that, are you going to be able to help us supervise the bug? Um, Eating, consumption, pairing, wine, pairing. Is that, is that something <laughs> you're, you're trying your... to find a nice way of saying we're going to just cram these dead bugs down our mouths? But, you know, I don't know if that's in your purview or not, but. Uh, we're... Well, yeah, I think you got lucky here. All oh, right. Oh, my gosh. How's that? Wonderful. Because as a herpetologist, meaning a biologist who studies amphibians and reptiles, one of the parts of the world where I spend a lot of time, I've worked for about 17 years now in Southeast Asia, working on amphibians and reptiles in Southeast Asia, which is a very exciting place to study those animals, as is the southeastern U.S., including here in North Carolina. Cool. Now, what you may know is in Southeast, Southeast Asia is one of the parts of the world where consuming insects is very popular. Oh, oh well, there you go. And that, that's a practice called entomophagy. 
Say it oh. again. Entomophagy. Well, that's what we're doing. We're entomophagy. We're entomoph- <laughs> Yes, we're participating in entomophagy here. That's exactly right. And and during the course of my travels over these many years, we have eaten insects many many times. Oh, We've, perfect. In fact, last year I was working in Laos, uh, which is one of my favorite countries to work in in Southeast Asia, and my field trip to a very remote village in northern Laos coincided with a hatch of cicadas. And so there were just hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of cicadas that had just emerged and were all over this riverbank. And during the week that we were working in that area, all the villagers, especially the children, were running out all day and all night and collecting as many as they could, frying them in oil and eating them. And we actually ate a lot of those during that visit. what What does a cicada taste like? What is a cicada yeah, like, taste what, like? What would it be? Uh, what would be like a parallel of something folks in the states would be used to? I I think eating. that they're very uh, nutty taking, tasting, almost mm-hmm. like a almost like a cashew or an almond sort of. I, actually, I think they're quite good. That doesn't sound too bad. You know, when um, I've seen, you know, uh, obviously the the chocolate covered grasshoppers, the the crickets, the smaller bugs, right? But what Mark has laid out here before me today. Is looks a little intimidating. These well, are large bugs, yeah. very large, insanely large bugs. So what we did is we went on Amazon.com, and we uh, I looked on how one could order bugs to eat, and <laughs> you actually can do that. And so I ordered the Jungle Trial Mix, and which comes with uh, giant water scorpions, male rhino beetles, <sighs> and an Asian forest scorpion. And I thought this would be a good place to try because we just want to have a smorgasbord of bugs. And I really tried to think of what wine would pair best with these bugs. Now, later on in the show, we're going to learn more about what uh, Brian, what Dr. Stewart does. And uh, that would be more in the interview section. But right now, we are going to pair and taste some wines and just see how it goes because I think we're in store for a wonderful treat. Now, uh, Dr. Stewart, can you tell me, seeing these bugs before you right now, are we in any danger from eating if we if if we eat these things? There's a scorpion in there. Sure is. Well, I'd say, based on the uh, power not invested in me by the state <laughs> of North Carolina, I would say I have no idea. No, I think you're probably safe. That's uh, good enough for me. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, go for it, uh, Mark. I think we got a green light from the expert here. <laughs> we got a green I light from the uh, right from the herpetologist who has experienced bug eating. Yes, in, in his first hand. Travel, so I think that's all good. So our first uh, thing that we're going to eat now. When I'm thinking about pairing bugs with wine, what I'm thinking of is what is the sweetest wine I could possibly <laughs> serve that would just wash away the taste of bug. That was my. That was my. Thank sort you, of Mark. That is very, very considerate a good of you. Wine. So I chose a really sweet Sauternes. We have a uh, 1976 Rain uh, Vigneault. It's a, it's a Sauternes, sweeter than most, and 76 was a, actually a great year for Sauternes. So if you're at home playing, please pull out your Sauternes, 76, and your bug. And, um, <laughs> and we can, uh, you can, and, and please you know, tweet and, or give us a call and let us know how your experience is going because we're going to uh, dive right in as well. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm feeling a little queasy about this whole thing, Mark. So the first thing we're going to eat is an <laughs> Asian forest scorpion. Unfortunately, after I ordered this value pack, I learned, I guess, that scorpions aren't Bugs? They're not, and actually, we might have to back up a little bit here. The word bug to a a biologist is only going to permit you to use the word bug 
for the most part for a particular order, a particular group of insects, the, mm. the, the, the insects with sucking mouth parts, such as bed bugs that you mentioned, bed bugs, uh, tree hoppers, okay. uh, cicada, and, and so forth. And so, and so those are uh, true bugs. So bugs are just a kind of insect. Oh, okay. Scorpions are not an insect. But, you know, this leads me to something I really want to say to Joe. And I, yes. I think I know how, as a biologist, <sighs> I can instill some confidence in you in this exercise. Lay and it that on me. Because Joe's freaking out right now. I, I sense that. And <sighs> there's nothing like a zoologist to calm your nerves. I'm so already feeling it. if we look at the evolutionary relationships of these animals, what we know is these are all, so arthropods. Yes. Okay. These all, the, they, the arthropods share a common ancestor, and they include the insects. Okay. They include arachnids, they include so things like uh, spiders, spiders and scorpions, and they include uh, crustaceans. So things like lobsters and they, lobster and so forth. Oh, so if you can just think about free it. your mind, Eating imagine it. that you're really just working in sort of in the family tree I of lobster. It. Got it. We like a all, tiny little land lobster. We are all sitting exactly. down right now at Red Lobster, and we are just ordering uh, a, a nice lobster that's Tends to be small and uh, don't dark. Just, just yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, just uh, a different arthropod. A, that's all we're doing here. So if you're just joining no, us, that, that's actually a great way to, to I put know, it. That's perfectly. Mm -hmm. So if you're jo just joining us on the Winefellers, uh, we have Dr. Brian Stewart, who's a herpetologist, but today he's going to advise us uh, more on insects and an anthropods and bugs. And and uh, he's given us the green light. And he gave us the green light. We're, now we are pairing bugs with wine. We're pairing our first. Uh, insect or anthropod with a sauterne. Ar arthropod. Arthropod, excuse me. <laughs> An arthropod, thank you very much. It's a 1976 Rain Vigneault. It's a beautiful sauterne. I believe when the makers made, made this sauterne, they had the arthropods in mind. And so let's give this a shot. So the first one is... What, uh, what are we starting with here, Mark? So that's your Asian uh, four scorpion. I, there was only one of those, so I had to divide it in three. That's one, and that's yours. I gave you the tail. Thing, oh. And then I Good gave... with the stinger <laughs> in it. Yeah, well... I wasn't oh my goodness. So let's goodness. give it a, would you like to give it a shot? Oh, and I'd then, love uh, to. Sure, here we go. All right, guys, uh, here we go. Scorpion eating forest scorpion. It's crunchy. Well, the things we'll do for a glass of wine, huh? Mm. You know what? You know what? It's not bad. That is delicious. <laughs> it's really not bad. Do you taste the nutty? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. But it also has like a, mm, mm. like a, I'll tell you what, man. This is very good. It's mm. got that nuttiness to it. Mm -hmm. It's got that crunch. And so, and it has some interesting beautiful. aftertaste to it. I mean, good, so complex. Since this is radio, we need to describe this. Yeah. Looks like a giant scorpion. What you think of a scorpion <laughs> looks like? It's a big scorpion. With <laughs> and a tail. I just ate the tail. And Joe ate the tail. I ate the tail. <laughs> I ate the. Uh, you ate the torso, and I ate the. Uh, what do you eat? The pinchers, Mark? That's well, I ate the the front of the torso. Is that technical, right? Well, the head, the say? thorax, and the body, Mark. Right. Ooh, look at head, him. thorax, body. Unfortunately, I gobbled my piece so quickly, I didn't even. Look to see which well, part I had. Well, I don't mind it. I could eat this all day. And you know what is actually interesting is um, it, it goes, goes with very well with this sauterne. Mm, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Let me tell you something. For those of you mm. out there listening to the <sighs> show, I highly recommend a 76 sauterne with uh, Asian forest scorpion. I, I think this is a beautiful pairing. I would... I would uh, you know, I'd have to agree, Mark. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'd, I'd say um, now we will uh, rate these at the end here, mm -hmm. right? From best to, to worst, even though they may all be just fine. Um, but well, I have to agree, delicious. Well, first I should say uh, 
that the Asian forest scorpion is a large, stocky, heavy black scorpion, typically five inches in length, and they live on the surface under rocks and logs. They are very aggressive and will assume a defensive posture and protect themselves with their pincers. The venom, which you ate, uh, from, <laughs> from, a, from a sting is mildly to moderately painful. Well, and plus the venom, doesn't ha- that have to be injected into your bloodstream for it to really be bad for you? Can't you eat it? That's exactly right. So actually, you have just highlighted one of my favorite issues of clarification as Ooh. a herpetologist. Well, and that, that is that I'm always pressed with questions about, quote unquote, poisonous snakes. Oh. To which I have mm. to, I cannot resist correcting, venomous snakes. And so the difference between mm. a poison and a venom so a, a poison is a toxin that you ingest, and a venom, you're exactly right, Mark, oh. a venom is a toxin that's injected into your body. So so a bee would be venomous. I see. A snake, if it's a snake, with, with ven- would be venomous, uh-huh. but a mushroom would be poisonous. Really interesting. Nice. Now, is there such a thing as poisonous snakes? Do they are there any of them in the world? Well, that's a very good question. We would if you had asked me that question five years ago, I would have said no. Meaning and we would have moved on. Meaning there's no snake that if you eat it, you'll die from right. poison. Well, it turns out that we recently discovered some colleagues discovered that there's a group of snakes that live in in Southeast Asia, actually. They occur in China and, and neighboring parts of Southeast Asia. And these are called keelback snakes, and they have a little gland on their neck huh. that, it turns out, uh, uh, secretes a poison. Hmm. So they're thought to be bad tasting. If a predator were to grab the snake, they would get a, a mouthful of this poison. And so now we can say there's at least one example oh, okay. of a poisonous snake. It won't snake. hurt you. But uh, I don't think that that would necessarily uh, well don't quote me on that let's, let's stick to eating bugs rather than the asian <laughs> keelback snakes but, but in any case but since they, we're they, having a, we're having a bug <laughs> so we're having a bugathon it's bug week what snakes i mean what bugs do these snakes eat oh that's stretching it there mark oh, okay well these particular snakes uh don't eat insects they they eat vertebrates like uh frogs mm. and 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 fish they're they're a semi-aquatic <laughs> snake well i just to... hope whup next year doesn't hold a vertebrate week i know well <laughs> i mean <laughs> we, i wish they did have a vertebrate week yeah we could eat a cow or a you know, whatever <laughs> right i mean not like a whole cow mark come on well, so if you're just joining us, we're learning uh, quite a bit on the uh, Winefellers. Absolutely. M- more so than usual. <laughs> I would and, say uh, so. We have uh, a herpetologist, Dr. Brian Stewart. Dr. Stewart. And right now we are pairing wine and insects, although we probably should have been pairing wine and vertebrates, but that wouldn't be a bugathon, now would it? No, it would not, Mark. So, uh, <laughs> our, <laughs> Mark, I, I just, um, I'm trying to listen to you. Yes. I, I really am. But I've got this giant head of that's a right. what looks to be a huge cockroach. Well, that's sitting on my plate. Yeah, we're going to save that for later. Oh, Jesus! Next, number two is uh, a giant water scorpion. We're going to be eating. That's that one right there. That's what I'm saying. The yeah. cockroach, and that is uh, so a giant water scorpions. Uh, and uh, I just did my little Wikipedia research before I came on here. They eat pond animals. They capture their prey with their front legs and suck their body fluids. They also have the ability to inflict a painful bite, which gave them their nickname, Toe Biters. So (laughs) so I'm going to turn to our zoologist here. Okay. And again, Dr. Stewart, please tell me that eating this entire head of this giant insect 
is going to be a pleasant experience for me. These water scorpions are extremely popular uh, in Southeast Asia. Ooh, in fact, you can nice. uh, you, if you visit uh, a, a market in Thailand or Cambodia or Laos or Vietnam, you're very likely to see uh, water scorpions for sale in the food markets. See, we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we uh, for this. Uh, insect, this water scorpion, I guess this is an anthropod too. Is, arthropod, uh, Mark. Right, arthropod, excuse me. Is, is, so the wine that we've chosen for this is mm. a 1976 Rain Vigneault. The same sauternes <laughs> we had for our last one because I wanted something as about as sweet as I could possibly find. And that's what we're drinking. So enjoy. So uh, Joe would, and, and uh, 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 you guys, you guys, guys, here's what I'm going to do. Just for, for you guys right here before me, yeah. and so our listeners can see this without any... Whew, without, no, 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 you're eating the wrong one. Dude, you said this one. Uh, this is the rhino beetle. Oh, yeah, you're right, right you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm eating the water scorpion. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right, now guys, as you guys, they're watching me right now. Yeah. I'm going to stick this entire, and there's his mouth uh, uh, proboscis that yeah. gives you that painful foot bite, foot biter bug here. Uh, it's all going in the Toe mouth, biter. gentlemen. All Toe right. biter. Eat your giant water right. scorpion. Hmm. Oh my god. Hmm. I think it's good. Did you eat a leg, Joe? Is that bothering you? No. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. Joe did well, get the biggest piece. It's okay. To me, this tastes like a, you know, peanuts. The shell of peanuts. Mm-hmm. That's what it tastes like to me. Peanut mm-hmm. shell. That's helping me get through it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mind peanut shells, but I say if I, oh was, if I was at a uh, a market, I'd, at this point, I'd choose the Asian forest scorpion over the giant water scorpion. Um, they're just this one's kind of chewy and it's hard to get down a little bit. I think I need to, my saw turn a little bit. Let's see. Mm. I mean, look, you chew on it for a little while, and it turns out that it's got a very earthy burlap aftertaste in that exoskeleton that's really coming through right now. And um, the more I mm. chew, the more it tastes like the floor of a barn, mm. which is you know, okay, it's like I'm eating straw. In a horse, pe- uh, like a cow pen, it's okay, it's all right, because I know that that doesn't sound all right. It's okay because I know that really this is probably a very nutritious um, morsel for right. my body. What, what about what do you think uh, so far? Uh, what was your impression of the flavors there? Oh, I prefer the first one too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, Joe I, got rid of his, but yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> but he also did get the biggest piece. Yeah, he did. I mean, he I got did. all the damn. Le- all yeah. I got all the legs, Mark. <laughs> I was trying to do you a favor. <laughs> I'm gonna need some more of that sauterne, Mark. <laughs> Poor coming. But you know, the thing is, I mean, there are a lot of proponents in the world. In fact, you know, there are even organizations that really push for entomophagy, the the practice of eating insects. And the reason is, you know, a huge portion. You know, so much of the world is. Uh, people live in parts of the world that are water-stricken, where sure, it's very difficult yeah. to grow livestock and uh, and so forth. And so, insects turns out, you know, they're they're a wonderful source of protein, and they make a great substitute, uh, you know, for you know some of the more difficult, environmentally challenging or expensive, economically difficult things to raise, like you know, cattle and chicken and so forth. And so, there's a real push to, in many cases, to 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 eat more insects. And there are even even in, in, I've even seen in Southeast Asia some little insect farm startups, you know, in in rural impoverished villages as sort of a a means to get people to you know come up with a sustainable livelihood. So eating insects 
when you mean to is a good thing. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I'm all for that, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, cows are probably uh, really expensive to grow sure. per, per mm -hmm. acre and bugs are probably not. And you probably get the same amount of protein. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they say, and I've read this as well, uh, Dr. Stewart, that, that in order to feed the population during the next 50 to 100 years, current uh, diet is unsustainable. They say that you know there there aren't enough there's not enough land to grow the cows and chickens to feed the the population of the future, but it's pound for pound these bugs are, are the ticket. Absolutely, think about things like locusts. You know, mm -hmm. you know that can it can you know have really devastating effects on on crops, and they tend to do really well in semi-arid areas in parts of Africa and so forth. But I mean, if you can harvest l large numbers of locusts during a quote-unquote plague, you know. Right. I mean, what a wonderful source of protein for peoples, which, of course, you know, wildlife, native wildlife is already taking advantage of. And so, I, you know, I think it's uh, they, insects have a lot to offer in, in, in the culinary realm. And, and I, I also want to say, as this is the WHUP Bug-a-thon, Bug Week, I just want to say right now that coming into this, and there's still one more bug to try and one more wine to try, but I, wanted, I want my voice to be heard right now, Mark. You got it. And I'm going to say that... Uh, People should not be afraid of trying these bugs. They're actually really good, and uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. That's right. Just go to Amazon.com. So we have our last bug, or I think this is really is an insect, a male rhino beetle. Now, this is the largest beetle in the world. Oh, my god. The male rhino beetles use their hats, whatever that means, in mating battles against other males. They are all... They are also one of the strongest animals on the planet relative to its size. They can lift up to 850 times their own weight. They are found in Thailand and are rich in protein. Now, mm. supposedly, this bug should taste a bit like bacon. That's what it said. Wow. That's what it said. So uh, now, if I had actual bacon, I was thinking what I would serve. Uh, to drink, mm. what wine to pair. And so I'm not going to serve the sauterne, although that would be a, a good guess. Now I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to serve a Schramsberg uh, sparkling wine. Ooh. Because if I was eat eating actual bacon, the acidity in the champagne would go really nicely with the actual bacon. Now, we're not eating actual bacon. We're eating a, a bug. And bugs are, um, you know... I don't know if I trust what the description of what the bug's supposed to taste like, but you can tell because I haven't tried it yet. So if you, you let us know if it tries like bacon, nice. so I just pop the cork. Well, again, Mark, I was uh, you kind of lost me there. I am so again focused on this giant head with horns sitting here on my plate. Um, you've given me now the heads of two insects, uh, so thank you for that. Oh, my and, pleasure. And um, tell tell me which which part of the rhino beetle are you consuming? Well, I don't I can't see it quite here. The knife. Well, is in I the got way. I gave you the head and I took the body of this one. Jeez. And uh, I have an entire. <gasps> and I, I thought Doctor Stewart. Well, for our, for our guest, I would was going to be just really nice and give him an entire. <laughs> oh, they sent an extra uh, rhino beetle. I know they gave us two, which was very nice of them. And I'm going to, you know, give them a shout out. Did to you the run bug this company. past Miss Manners before I attended? Is that how you knew? Well, I just that thought you are always... a guest. I mean, the guests should get the full male rhino beetle if we have two. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, try uh, mine. We, we've got our, our uh, champagne uh, or our sparkling wine here poured. Yeah. So first, try your uh, your I'm, male I'm rhino going beetle. In. It's sharp, man. It's got sharp horns. Well. 
<clears throat> okay. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. Mm. Chewy, okay. crunchy, mm-hmm. mm. very earthy and nutty. I don't taste any bacon. No. Well, hold on. I think all the bacon was in the head, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm tasting some head well, bacon. You're the here. winner, then, aren't you? <laughs> oh wow! It's got like. If I got shocked by a lightning bolt, mm. that's kind of what the flavor's like right now. Oh, man, I don't feel so good. I don't like that. Really? Mm. Look, man, Mark, it, let's let's be positive on okay. during bug week on the yeah, bug I'm trying. I'm really trying to get through right. this. Look, I just ate the head of a rhino beetle, and I'm here to say mm. there's, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. All right? And I came into this not really too sure about this. Well, I'm going to drink my champagne to mm. wash it down. The, all the pointy mm. parts are hard oh, to champagne. chew down. That is the best champagne I have ever had in right. my life. See if I can just swallow it the rest here. The taste of the male rhino beetle Ooh. from my mouth. Woo. Oh, some bugs went back into my uh, legs. Went back into my drink there. Don't don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> no, they're settling down to the bottom. All good. That's nice. Oh my goodness. I have, I have actually some extra legs if you uh, want some of mine. Okay, so the rhino beetle. All I got was the head, guys. So uh-huh. so tell me what what the uh, body, the head, or the thorax, and the abdomen tasted like. I have, a, I, I have a strong feeling that it tastes exactly like what you ate. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: these things are apparently um, they're they're boiled, right? Yeah, they're and then boiled. they're dehydrated, they're dried, and then salted. Mm. Now, um, the innards of a bug. I mean, is it pretty much like? Um, homogenous through the entire insect or have you got uh stomachs and intestines and brains and and all of that as well or when you boil it you know what i bet i bet it all mixes together inside of their exoskeleton well john i was going to answer this question but i think let's go ahead and just uh let dr stewart field it what have we got there dr stewart well they certainly have organs they're they're a lot different than what what you or i would have you know the respiratory system is very different than than our lung system and so forth but um What I was going to say, though, is I think the problem here is freshness. Oh. I think, you got a good I think point. if you had a fresh beetle that was just right out of the fryer, I think you would have liked that experience much mm. more than you you did. I just want to throw that out. No, so that's, that's so a very good point. So maybe next week we should fry our bugs in the studio. Maybe. I have a, a Mr. Fryer at okay. home. Okay. Good. Um, and uh, probably need... I've got a bug collection, but it's from high school. I probably can't well, fry not, those. Well, that's not Fre- well, Yeah, right. We want to catch. Yeah. All right. We're going to do our best to well, catch. You know, maybe we could bring it in later this week so mm. that during the, the remainder of the bugathon this week, maybe we could treat another show. Because I don't know what the other shows are doing. For, I'm sure for it's bug-related, bug obviously, week. but they'll be doing bug stuff. We stop by and, uh, and fry up some fresh. I agree with you, Dr. Stewart. I bet that would make it a million times better. Well, Dr. Stewart, he's a very interesting fellow, and I would like to learn a little bit more about him. And right now we've, been, uh, we've learned some about him through our wine pairing and uh, uh, insect event. And if you're just joining us on WHUP, the Wine Fellers, we've been pairing wine with insects. And uh, Man, it was great. It was great. We got a lot, uh, a lot more to cover, so uh, stay right here. We got a couple messages to play for you, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll listen. To, we'll hear more from what Doctor Stewart has to say. Absolutely, stay with us. Eat your cake and toppings too. The wine fellers love you. 
you know it's true. The wine fellers love you. The wine fellers love you. adversaries appear in the guise of vile spirits, the undead, and yes, National Public Radio. These sinister forces have run afoul with shows like the People's Pharmacy, the Splendid Table, and a Prairie Home Companion. And their dark march across the radio landscape leaves a trail of pain and suffering and boredom. But... There is a beacon of hope. Inside a small Carolina town appears a ragtag band of dimwitted volunteers and illiterates marching under the WHUP battle flag. Their mission? To rid the planet of this offensive menace once and for all by creating an assorted lineup of fair to middling quality radio programming. But they can't do this alone. During this week's Begathon, make your tax-deductible donation by clicking on the contribute link at whupfm.org. Join the epic struggle today and receive a free tote bag. We don't have tote bags. A coffee mug? We don't have any of that crap. How about one of those individually wrapped cinnamon toothpicks sure, then, Mark? Joe, knock yourself out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> While supplies last, though. Uh. tax-deductible donation, click the contribute link on whupfm.org. Well, you are listening to the Weinfellers, and it's Bug Week, our Bugathon on WHUP. We're here with Dr. Brian Stewart, who is an entomologist at herpetologist who focuses on insects I mean amphibians and reptiles as a curatorial entomologist that's herpetologist at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences he has maintained an active field program in Southeast Asia since 1998 with a focus on Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam and Thailand more recently Dr. Stewart's field work has expanded to areas of Central Africa he currently resides in North Carolina with his wife, Kelly, son, Leo, and several adorable chickens. Dr. Stewart, welcome to a very special Bugathon edition of the Winefellers. Welcome. Thank you. This has been a real privilege. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're here. We are. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he held my hand. 
he did. through the entire bug eating really process, and he even had a, a, quite a bot, a, quite a lot of knowledge about entomology, uh, despite uh, being a herpetologist. And which uh, brings me to my first question: so, um, so there's you know, these different fields: entomology, herpetology. How did you decide that, or when did you decide that herpetology was for you? This was going to be your career focus. Well, you know, I, I always liked animals from a very, very young age, as long as I could remember when all the other little boys were learning about sports and, and race cars and, and cool cars and things like that. I was really interested in animals. And and um, so I, I guess I always had the animal passion. Uh, when I was younger, I was really more focused on birds. But, of course, birds are just feathered reptiles. We can That's another side story. But anyway, <clears throat> I was really more interested in birds. And when I, when I finally got, got to university, I went to Cornell, and I took a herpetology course which is a biology course dealing with the study of amphibians and reptiles. Cool. And that was when I decided, you know, those are the animals that I just really, really like. And I guess the reason is because, you know, they're tremendously diverse. There's so many species on the planet, so many that we're only just now discovering and, and, and so forth. And that I'm talking about here in North Carolina as well as, well as those faraway places like Gabon and Laos that I've mentioned earlier. Really? Uh, absolutely. Wow. Um, but they're also, in addition to this, this tremendous diversity, these animals that do these really cool things, just have these fabulous life histories and, and uh, just do really neat things. They're also probably the least appreciated of the vertebrates, you know. Um, hmm. And uh, Are and they are they the, uh, we're talking about snakes here, right? We are. So when I'm talking about amphibians and reptiles, I'm, when I say amphibians, I'm talking about the salamanders and newts. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about frogs and toads. And then I'm talking about one more group that's unfamiliar to most people that live in this part of the world called Sicilians. Now, we're not talking about Italians who are growing <laughs> quick, a, a wine from Sicily, but uh, <laughs> Sicilians are a little limbless, worm-like amphibian that live in tropical parts hmm. of the world. And when I talk about reptiles, I mean crocodiles, turtles, snakes, right. lizards, and a few little strange groups that most people are also unfamiliar with, like the tuatara, wow. a lizard-like looking animal that's oh. not a lizard and lives only in a couple of islands off, off coast of uh, New Zealand, for example. So. Well, that's, that's really so cool, man. Yeah. So, so you work at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. Now, what is your, uh, what is your role there? What, what do you do, because uh, obviously herpetology is a large field, what is, what is your day-to-day functions at the museum? Yeah, so my, my responsibilities are split between, um, well, for, well, first and foremost, I have a research program. So about half of my time is spent dealing with research, and, and that we're talking about research where you're collecting data and, and analyzing data and publishing in scientific journals. And these, the research that I'm particularly interested in have t- tends to deal with uh, describing new species and figuring out evolutionary relationships of species using DNA sequence data and that kind of thing. Awesome. And then I also, as a curator, I'm in charge of a large research collection of amphibians and reptiles. And we have, um, you know, the Museum of Natural Sciences in Raleigh has... Uh, probably on the order of at least well at least three million research specimens, uh, and of those we have about two hundred thousand preserved amphibians and reptiles that date back collections that date back to the late eighteen hundreds, uh, and so these are spe- you know specimens mostly from North Carolina and the southeastern U.S. but also representation from all over the world and and you know these collections wow. are used by scientists um, all over the world as uh, for a number of things describing new species. Uh, making identifications, learning about the natural history of, of organisms, uh, and especially as uh, vouchers for geographic localities. I mean, if you think about 
if we have all these collections of amphibians and reptiles from across North Carolina, say, um, just going back to the late 1800s, think about how many of those organisms that we have documented in our collections occur in places today where they no longer occur. I mean, so many of these localities today are under a, a Walmart parking lot or a housing oh, development yeah. or, or so forth and so on and so forth. And so we have a very good snapshot of where species occurred in the past mm. and where they occur today. And in some cases, people use these collections to try and do computer modeling exercises to figure out where species might occur in the future under different, say, climate scenarios or, right. or uh, um, you know, land <laughs> use practices and so forth. Uses so. that the original folks out in the field, as they were collecting this in the 1800s, had maybe no idea, no idea how it was going to be used. That, exactly. you know, 150 years later. That's exactly right. We would be plugging this into computers and, and, and using it for useful right. things. That's exactly That's right. right. No, no. Uh, w in your, how long have you been there, by the way? At the, uh, I I moved to the museum in the summer of two thousand eight. So it's quite a while. Uh, what have you found that are people's biggest misconception when you're we're talking about snakes and reptiles and and are there people that things that just people get wrong and and you kind of feel like you have to kind of reeducate uh, quite, quite frequently to to others? Well, there are so many, but I guess I just have to jump to the big one, and that is <laughs> living here in North Carolina. You, you 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 might even be able to guess guess what I'm going to say here, and that is the copperhead so it turns oh. out that well first of all i want to i want to back up and i want to be i want to be fair to my to, to listeners here sure i have always said that snakes are the world's greatest icebreakers in terms <laughs> of you can be sitting in say the waiting room of your dentist you can be sitting on an, on an airplane you can be in a remote <laughs> village in in laos you can be almost anywhere on the planet, and if you just bring up the converse, the topic of snakes, right. everybody has something to say about snakes, whether it be good or bad, right or wrong. There's something about the topic of snakes sure. where it really brings people together. Well, I think they have something to probably say. Probably because they scared the bejesus out of most people. And right? that may be. And so the, I would say that to answer your question, the biggest misconception would have to be with copperheads. Okay. So copperheads do occur here in North Carolina. They're, yep. In my view, they're a wonderful snake. They're a beautiful animal. They occur right here in the lovely town of Hillsboro, where we're, we're broadcasting from right now. Uh, and uh, they are venomous. Uh, and a, a bite from a copperhead does require uh, medical attention. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, um, you know, I think we're privileged to have these things around, but they're only one of a great number of species of snakes that we have in North Carolina, and yet what the great misconception that I have learned since I've lived in North Carolina is that in so many people's view, every snake is a right. copperhead. Oh, yeah. And, and you have to, can, you know, there... Uh, and and um, and unfortunately, the ramification of that is not just well, you're misidentifying something. You thought you saw a bluebird, and in fact, it was an indigo bunting or something like that. This is <laughs> the consequence is usually that a harmless snake is killed unnecessarily. And so, yeah. I spent a lot of time um, trying to um, convince people that what they saw was probably not a copperhead. Actually, it was belonged to some other species. Or in the case rare, rare case where, in my view, people are lucky enough to actually see a real copperhead, yeah. to convince them that they had a real treat and that they were privileged to uh, to have that experience. What does a real one look like? So I would know. So, um, well, one thing I'll say, so here in, in Hillsboro, for example, there are a lot of residents that regularly encounter these uh, little brown snakes. We call them uh, decay snakes or brown snakes, and they're a harmless little slug-eating, earthworm-eating um, small brown snake, and they're found under in, in backyards, even right down in downtown Hillsboro, mm -hmm. under railroad ties and logs and rocks and so forth. Right. And they're often said to be 
quote-unquote baby copperheads, which are not, mm. and then they're killed. Uh, baby copper, juvenile copperheads have a bright green, almost bright yellow lime green tail. That readily distinguishes That's them when they're that size. Easy to remember. But they also have a very distinctive pattern on their back. They have a sort of a little saddles, almost like a little hourglass uh, band-shaped uh, mm-hmm. pattern on their back. Um, and they have a... Uh, a uh, an arrow-shaped head, uh, and uh, but the thing is, we have so few species of venomous snakes in North Carolina. The easiest thing to do, instead of trying to learn rules or tricks for knowing whether or not it's a venomous species or not, is just to learn to identify a copperhead. Well, Doctor Stewart, we just wow, that was just a, <laughs> I just know, a really, I, well, I, I just mesmerized. I, I, I think it was really interesting. It's like so. talk about the uh, you know uh, mesmerized uh, cobra. <laughs> yeah, that so, was me just now. Yeah, that was really interesting. Well, we're going to have to obviously have uh, Doctor Stewart again, and we're I'm telling you, next time we are convincing the the station instead of having a bugathon, we're going to have a reptilathon, and because I mean. It's, to me, it sounds more interesting than a Let's have a reptile-a-thon. And we're going to bring uh, Dr. Stewart back on. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. I would love to come back. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. You've been listening to The Weinfellers. It is Bug Week here at WHUP and their annual Bug-a-thon. You've been listening to another exciting episode of The Weinfellers. North Carolina's only fine wine radio program. And I've had such a great time today, Mark. Me too, Joe. But the good news is is that the fun can continue online. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Visit us online at thewinefellers.com where you can learn more about today's program and listen to previous shows. See you next week. Songs and melodies Change and change and sway But they still stay the same The songs that we sung when the dark days come Are the songs that we sung when we chased them away If I ever found a pot of gold I'd buy bottles untold of the nectar of the vines Cause I'm gonna die with a twinkle in my eye Cause I sang songs, spun stories Love, laughed and drank wine Tomorrow is another day The cats are out to play, to play That old dusty spaceship wants to sail Into the Milky Way again On a river of red, red wine And rage and rage and 
want 